Last week, we talked about Muhammad. This week, we're talking about the son and the grandson of the man who stopped the Muslims from world domination. Let's go back a little to the 600s. The Germanic barbaric tribes had divided and conquered the Roman Empire. These areas were run by these tribes and they ruled as lords. France was divided and very ununified. It was dominated by the Franks and ruled by the Merovingian dynasty. A man named Clovis converted to Christianity. He ruled and unified the Franks for the first time. He was liked by the bishops in France, and the church promoted Clovis amongst the people. Clovis became king and was loved by the people. He didn't pass the throne on to his oldest son. Instead, he passed the throne to all of his sons to be shared equally. This, however, did not go well and led to a lot of little civil wars. Eventually, the kings became useless. They did nothing. In fact, they're known as history as the do-nothing kings. These do-nothing kings ruled from 637 to 751. While the kings did nothing except live in the palace and enjoy all the benefits of being rich, the work was done by the mayor of the palace. You get an idea of what that would look like by looking at England today. The queen and the prince really don't do anything except travel and get their pictures taken. The prime minister and the parliament do all the actual work. This was what it was like in the time a man named Charles Martel became the mayor of the palace. Charles had two sons, Carloman and Pepin. He had his two young sons sent to a monastery to live and study. It was around this time the Islamic armies attacked France. It looked like the Franks would be overthrown and forced to convert to Islam. But Charles Martel refused to give up and continued to fight. He overthrew the Islamic armies at the Battle of Tours in the year 732. He was given the nickname the Hammer. Although the battle ended the Islamic outreach into this area of what is today Europe, they still continued to constantly attack the southern areas of France. Islam ruled over Spain at this time. Charles Martel was known for fighting these great wars. He would go to the church and take things from the church to fund his military. Around this time, a man named Winfred lived in England. He was known as the doer of good, or Boniface. Boniface was well known and respected in the church. When Charles Martel, or the Hammer, died, His two sons were made the mayor of the palace. Both the boys, having grown up in the monastery, had a drive to see all of France evangelized. They called on Boniface to come to France and to help them, and he agreed. Carloman didn't enjoy the political life, so he returned to life in the monastery. This left Pepin the Short to rule. Now, this name Pepin the Short came because at this point in history, especially in the Europe area, No one used last names, so people were given nicknames to tell them apart from other people who had the same name. Pippin was obviously pretty short, since it's his name. At this point, the actual king was Cardrec III. 
He was one of the do-nothing kings, and it annoyed Pepin that the one doing all the work didn't have the title or respect of king. He wrote a letter to the Pope at the time and pointed out this problem. The Pope agreed and tells Boniface to crown Pepin the king of France. Cardiac didn't even fight this. He just left the palace and moved to a monastery. Pepin then became the king of France. This is really important because we're noticing here that the church is now crowning and uncrowning the kings. Not too long later, the Lombards started attacking and causing problems. The Pope Stephen II called Pepin to come and help. Pepin sent in the military. They defeated the landlords and then took the land they had control over. The cities in the area that the landlords had been ruling were then given to the church. They were declared independent states, and this is how the church got control of what is the papal states. All right, we're going to take a quick bunny trail here. We're going to do a short history now of the papal states all the way until today. In 754, the part of the story we're at right now, the papal states were most of what is Italy today. The church ruled the papal states for a thousand years. During this time, they built huge, elaborate churches such as St. Peter's, which is still today the largest church in the world. They also built a huge wall that went all the way around a hill. This hill was called the Vatican, and St. Peter's was on top of this great hill. Now, Italy was ruling next door, and they thought they really wanted to have Rome as the capital of Italy. And they went to war with the Papal States and won, taking all of that area as part of Italy. This was a war in 1870. The Pope then ran to the Vatican and hid behind the great wall that had been built. He refused to agree that Italy had won the war. In fact, the Pope said there was no such thing as a nation of Italy. It did not even exist. Italy thought it would look really bad if they invaded the wall and it would start a holy war, and those don't turn out well. So they hoped eventually the Pope would just give up. Instead, after 60 years and five different popes, everyone was still at a standstill. That takes us to 1929. Mussolini is running Italy. We'll talk about him in a future episode, but let's just say for now he falls in a bad guy category. However, Mussolini makes a deal with the Pope. He says, I will let Vatican City be its own country. However, you will have to finally admit that Italy is a country and stop telling all the Catholics to go against us. I'm going to then pay you a bunch of money in compensation for being locked up in the city for the last 60 years. You can leave and travel freely. However, you have to promise to stay out of political discussion. And if I happen to, I don't know, go to war or something in the future, you can't say anything about that. As it turns out, Mussolini and his buddy Hitler had a little plan up their sleeves. But that's for another episode. The Pope agreed, and today the only part of the Papal States that is still its own country is Vatican City. It's a very tiny city on top of a hill. You can walk around this entire country in just 45 minutes. So that's the bunny trail about Vatican City. Let's go back to the year 754. The church owns all the papal states and is very grateful for this. Then Pope Stephens II travels to France and anoints Pepin as king, his wife as queen, and his two sons as future kings. 
This is the first anointment of the Pope and the first coronation ceremony of the church and the state. For the rest of the time in Europe, kings and queens would be coronated by the church, which left the question, who is really ruling, the king or the one anointing the king? The question of who is ruling is the one that will be fought for all the Middle Ages and is still the question often today. The idea of church and state, the church not wanting the state to rule a church, but the state also not wanting the church to rule the state, and the question of who is in charge, the state or the church. In the same year, Boniface had traveled to Germany. He felt God calling him to evangelize the Germanic tribes, who were almost entirely pagan. When Boniface arrived in Germany and began to preach, he was met with hostility. The people were not interested in this God Boniface was talking about. Boniface realized the people in the village where he was staying were all worshipping a giant oak tree. They said it was a representation of their God Thor. Boniface took an axe and headed toward the oak tree. He began to chop down the tree. The people in the village all watched in horror, waiting for Thor to avenge himself. At that moment, the sky turned dark, the clouds rolled in, and a storm hit the village. The villagers all hid and watched as Boniface continued in the rain to chop down the tree. They were all sure he was about to die in front of them. But then lightning hit the tree and broke it into three pieces as Boniface finished chopping it down. There, the great oak lay on the ground, splintered. The storm left, and Boniface stood right there where the tree had once stood and preached about the one true God who created the world and everything in it, who was holy and could not be in the presence of sin, of our sin and our unworthiness, and of Jesus, who was and is God, came to earth, lived perfectly, and died to pay the punishment for our sins, who rose again, and who is in heaven. The people in the tribe listened for the first time and became followers of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus began spreading through Germany, and Boniface traveled and started churches. Still, the Germanic barbarians who were fighting still wanted to fight. It was part of the culture and who they were. But that ended in the year 754. Boniface was in a river baptizing a large group of men, who had converted from pagan worship to Christianity. An army of Germanic pagans came to attack them. The men being baptized grabbed their swords to fight back, but Boniface told them not to fight back. They would instead be martyrs for their faith, showing a new nature that doesn't pick up a sword to fight. The men instead knelt by the river, and every single one of them was killed, including Boniface. This news traveled through the churches in Germany, and a sense of a new nature meant a new way of life, no more fighting, instead being willing to lay down your life for Jesus Christ. The pagans, seeing this, began to stop and listen to what was being said. Very soon, Germany was almost entirely a Christian nation, and the pagan worship ended. Pippin, who would have been devastated by this news of Boniface, as he was good friends with this man, and had known him growing up. 
So in that year, 754, Pepin not only grieves the death of his friend, but is also coronated king. Pepin the Short continued to rule until his death, and his two sons take over as dual king, Charles and Carloman. Carloman died in the year 771, and that left Charles as the ruler. Charles was a great ruler. He dominated militarily. He also ruled in a way that made people love him. While his father was known as Pepin the Short, he was known as Charles the Great, or Charlemagne. As a military leader, he fought against the Muslims in Spain. He was not able to take back all of Spain, but he was able to free some of the cities. However, his nephew died during one of the battles. He wrote a poem before dying, which became kind of a national song. He then went to war with the Muslims again in the Frankish-Moorish Wars. The Moors were the Arabic Muslims who ruled North Africa and Spain. They had sea battles in the Mediterranean Sea, where Charlemagne took control of the islands of Corspian and Sardinia and, and the Balearic Islands. They also fought in the land of northern Spain. In 795, he conquered large areas of Spain, and they returned part of the Frankish Empire. These parts of Spain remained part of the Frankish Empire until the year 1258. Lamlards at this time ended their attacks completely. They had started to be a problem again. He then declared himself king of the Lamlards. He left his son to rule the area and make sure the Lamlards never attacked again. This area is nor this area is what is known today as Northern Italy. He also added to what is today Southern Italy to his empire. In the year 787, the Frankish kingdom continued to grow. Then one of the women, who had been part of the ruling families of the landlords, married a king of Barvalia and convinced him to go to war against Charlemagne. This was a very short war, and Charlemagne easily defeated him. There were so many more wars. It would go on for a long time if we went over all of them. However, safe to say, under his rule, the empire grew a lot. But when Charlemagne attacked and defeated the Saxons, he ordered that everyone become baptized or die. There was mass baptisms. However, Christianity at its core must be received in free will. Remember, the Muslims were gaining ground at the same time with the same tactic. Convert to Islam, pay a tax, or die. Charlemagne began doing the same thing with Christianity. Leaders of the church eventually convinced him this was not a good idea, but it takes years before he decides to change his mind. This leads us to Christmas Day in the year 800. Imagine you're there. Christmas Day, year 800. You stand at the bottom of the large staircase. Ahead is the largest church in the world. It's built with grandeur that makes you think, this must be an example of the holy city from the book of Revelation. You walk up the steps and onto a platform. You then walk across a large platform and through the massive wooden doors into the great hall. This area is open. You look above you where there's no roof and to the sides where there's large pillars instead of walls that lead out to verandas. On warm days, it's a place to stand in awe but this is Christmas Day and there's a chill in the air. Plus, you're excited about the Christ Mass, as you know that Charlemagne will be there to receive Mass. 
you walk across the large courtyard. And as you do, you can't help but remember that beneath you are the remains of the great saints who were martyred in Roman Colosseums. This had, just a few hundred years ago, been the burial site of these Christians. You look through the pillars towards the area just outside the church. This had been the site of the crucifixions, where the men and women had been crucified simply for being Christians and refusing to offer incense to the pagan gods. The bodies had been taken down and dropped into a valley, and here, over those bodies, the church had been built, the great St. Peter's. Constantine had ordered this valley to be filled in forever, burying the bodies of the saints, and for St. Peter's to be built on top in honor of them. You reach another set of doors, and you enter. There are many others here, and you shift into a somewhat comfortable position between two people. You can see pretty good, even though it's very crowded. The Christ Mass has started, and then the doors open in grand style. Charlemagne enters, followed by his men. He marches to the very front of the Mass, where there's an area designated just for him. You feel a sense of overwhelming pride in your leader. To be here to see both Charlemagne and the Pope in the same place is something you never thought possible, and what better time than Christmas? Then Charlemagne moves to take communion. You watch as he kneels to take the communion. Then suddenly, Pope Leo reaches behind him and grabs a crown and places it on Charlemagne's head. Charlemagne looks up startled. All around you, people are jumping to their feet and cheering. The cheering turns to a chant. To Charles Augustus, crowned by God, great in peacemaking and the Romans, long life and victory. To Charles Augustus, crowned by God, great in peacemaking and the Romans, long life and victory. To Charles Augustus, crowned by God, great in peacemaking and the Romans, long life and victory. Charlemagne had already been the king of France, but had the Pope just made him king of the Roman Empire? But there was still an emperor, and the crown belonged to the Roman Emperor. What is going to happen? This day really did happen, and that is how Charlemagne became the king of not only France, but also of what had been the Roman Empire. It's also the start of what is called the Holy Roman Empire. This empire would not be ended until the year 1806. Charlemagne took his new role seriously. He wanted to bring the Roman Empire back to its glory. He started by having his friend Alcuin come on board to help. Charlemagne saw that illiteracy was a huge problem. He believed to make Rome great again, you would need education. So he demanded the clergy had to know how to read and write. Of course, the Pope wasn't happy he was demanding something of the clergy, as that was the Pope's job. All the same, Alekin did a great job. One of the things he did was made reading easier. He did this by creating something called the uppercase and lowercase lettering. He added punctuation, and he added more spaces between words and at the end of sentences. This is, of course, how we read today. 
He then had scribes spend all day copying books to make sure there was lots of books for everyone to read. And he opened schools for little boys so they could start reading at a young age. This is what we call today the Charlemagne Renaissance. It was a great time. However, Charlemagne saw himself as not only the head of France and of Rome, but also the head of the church. He passed laws that forced people to pay tithe to the church. This gave the church the right to tax people. This is commonly seen in movies from this time period and is captured in the book Robin Hood. The church added two things to its doctrine at this time. It sanctioned using icons or idols in worship and began to teach that you that when you took communion, you were eating the actual body and drinking the real blood of Jesus. These are still taught today in the Catholic Church. There were people who wanted the Pope to be the extreme leader and the king to follow the Pope. These people were called the Papists. Other people wanted the emperor to have extreme power and the pope to follow the emperor. These people were called the imperialists. Charlemagne died in the year 814. After his death, he became known as Europa Peter, or Father of Europe. Although his grandsons would end up dividing France. Part of it is now Italy, part of it is now Germany, and only a third of it is still called France and run by the Franks. The area that became Germany takes the title of head of the Holy Roman Empire. King Otto becomes the first Germanic king and claims the Holy Roman Empire will be controlled by Germany. This remains true all the way until the 9th century. It's passed down from Otto to his oldest son and so on. During this time, the Islamic armies are still marching and taking over large areas that had been the Christian strongholds. The question became, should the church take the land back? In the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about the Crusades. You don't want to miss these episodes, so make sure you subscribe so you won't miss it. If you want to check out other podcasts, or if you have a message you want to share and you want to know how you can have your own podcast, visit lauraleesiemens.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. All right, for more podcasts, videos, and blogs, check out lauraleesiemens.com, and I'll see you next week.